Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats and dogs, and vampire bats in need of a blood bank. It's Thursday at 3 o'clock, and you know what that means. It's time for Tea with BVP. Hey, everybody out there. I'm your host, BVP, a.k.a. Bill Van Patten, international superstar and your diva of SLA. And in case you're wondering, yes, that was our end song. So we're pulling a fast one on you today. If you were paying attention, the end song came at the beginning. That means our beginning song is going to come at the end. I don't know what's going to happen at the end. We'll see. But anyway. Oh, um, the joys of technology. We are live from the second floor of Wells Hall on the Michigan State University campus in East Lansing, Michigan. And of course, with me are my lovely and talented co-hosts, Walter Hopkins and Angelica Kramer. Say hi. 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 Yay. Oh, you Hello. guys. Hello. What's the name of the Hola. <laughs> uh, ¿Dónde está el baño? Oh, my God. I'm in the twilight zone of second language acquisition here. <laughs> let me tell you. You guys crack me up. You do. This, I have the best job in the world working with these people. I tell mm-hmm. you. I really do. So, um, you guys, it's the last day of March. That's crazy. It's March 31st. Unreal. I can't believe that. It's and tomorrow, tomorrow is what? April Fool's. Poisson d'Avril. Yeah, tomorrow is uh, Dia de los Inocentes. It's April 1st, April Fool's Day. Um, I want to know if anybody out there, I want people calling today, and, and if they can, there's time. Just tell us briefly some practical joke you were involved in or that happened to you. Um, do you guys ever play practical jokes on people? Very Sometimes. seldomly. I try to be nice. Angelica, let's play time. one on Walter tomorrow. Yeah. Let's, we'll, we'll cook Walter's up one after this. Walter's not going to come in tomorrow. Okay. Whatever. Of course he is. <laughs> it's okay. When someone comes to your house, you're going to yeah. <laughs> When that van pulls up in front of your house, you're going to go, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> no, I've actually, I, I've actually never played a practical joke on anybody. Hmm. I'm too kind. I'm too... I've been butt of a lot of practical jokes, but I've, I've actually never played a good joke on anybody. Hmm. I need to do that I sometime. find that really hard to believe. I know, yeah, right? right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you think, you know, I'd be the guy of always doing the practical, like the George Clooney of SLA, always playing practical jokes on people, right? <laughs> Did you know that about George Clooney? No. He is widely known in Hollywood for playing practical jokes on the set and with people huh. he works with, fellow actors, directors, writers, every, I mean, ask Sandra Bullock in Gravity. Ask uh, ask Brad Pitt. Ask them all. They all say he's the biggest practical joker in Hollywood. Hmm. So maybe I have something to be, aspire to. I can be like the George Clooney of SLA and play practical jokes. But, I, but it's just not in me to do that. I'm just too nice. I'm too I've nice. experienced the jokes. I'm not sure that I've experienced the nice, though. Oh. <laughs> no, you experienced the jokes, not the practical jokes. Not the practical jokes. You just experienced the jokes. Okay, I can say I'm a comic. I, You know, that's that's what I do. That's how... The tragedy and pain of my life, I've converted into comedy. That's all I'm going to say about that. Look at that. Carol is questioning you being nice and not playing practical jokes because she says on Mixler, what about when you told Stephen Crash and his zipper was down? Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> that yeah, was he, almost true. <laughs> <laughs> he told us about that when he was live with us at Actful. He did. He, I, did I did that to him. I did that to him. <laughs> Thank you, Carol. <laughs> Speaking of practical jokes, this is not practical jokes, um, but we have a couple of announcements before we, we get into things. I just want to tell people up front what our topic is, and I'll come back to it later because I think people like to know up front um, what we're doing on. Today is our third principle already of contemporary language teaching. Can you believe that? We're in the third one, Angelica, mm-hmm. the third principle. Yeah. Do you know what the principle is? It is about uh, learner internal and non-learner external factors. Yeah, it's about constraints. Um, on uh, language teaching, and actually, the 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 actual phrase we're going to use today is acquisition is constrained by learner internal and external factors. And so uh, we'll remind you a little bit later about that, but that's our topic today. We'll tell you how to call in and all that kind of stuff. But I want to make two announcements that are related to some things. Uh, Luca wants me to remind everybody that today is the last day of tea swag. Get your tea swag on. Remember that is you uh, are uh, putting together an ad or some kind of promo. It's all on our website. So if you want to sneak something in the last minute, today's your last day to do it. Shuts down at midnight tonight. Go to the website and double check on that. And also, um, Luca wants to announce that he's going to send something out on Twitter tomorrow, which I think is going to be a lot of fun for people. Um, he's calling it the BVP meme, which I find a little weird because, you know, a meme after me, like a, that's... That's that's weird, right? Like, oh, but meme you are you... the diva of SLA. Yeah, I'm not not the meme of SLA. I'm the diva of SLA. <laughs> but anyway, so Luke is going to send out an announcement tomorrow. We had um, 
I forget who it was who sent in uh, one of the pictures of me holding the mug, the cut, the teacup, and they put some blurbs in there. And so Luca thought it would be a great idea to have a meme contest for the month of April, and I agree with him. Mm-hmm. So the tea swag contest will end tonight at midnight, and tomorrow we're launching the BBP meme contest. So Luca will put that on Twitter tomorrow to let you all know, and he's also going to put it in the newsletter on Monday. So those of you who get our newsletter will be reminded of that, and you can participate that. In Is the it month. the BVP meme or the mean BVP contest? Uh, <laughs> yeah, here we're starting already. See? 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 Somebody ate his Wheaties this morning or something. <laughs> <laughs> he been much kinder to me lately. Damien, why you talk to me like this, Damien? <laughs> Didn't we see the exorcist? Remember that scene where that, the mother comes in the, on the bed and takes that, you know, he sees that mother, hallucination of the mother, and she goes, Damien, why you do this to me? He has all that guilt. <laughs> the pre- Am I the only one who's seen The Exorcist? I've never seen The I've Exorcist. Never seen the oh Exorcist my gosh. Either. Talk about a cultural meme. My gosh. That cultural meme where she, um, she vomits up all the stuff, and so every every Saturday. That's probably why was, I've never seen it. Uh, yeah. I, I want to watch someone. I saw it when I was in stuff. high school. I was petrified. I was petrified. The person I was with grabbed onto my scarf because it was that was the first movie where they had lines around the block, and so this was San Francisco where I was growing up, and so so we went to the movie. We could only get into like the midnight showing, right? Huh. Because and it showed to like four in the morning, which is all they liked it, and so. <laughs> So the next thing I'm watching this movie, and all of a sudden I'm going, uh, uh, I couldn't breathe. <laughs> this person I was with had my shah, my scarf, and it was like pulling on my scarf because <laughs> it's so tense. I go, okay, great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choke like Linda Blair in this movie. Okay, so again, this is our third week of Principles of Contemporary Language Teaching. I can't believe it. We're just like flying along here. My gosh, this is like a ride at Bush Gardens. Which is going to come in later, by the way, speaking of a meme. Um, so our third week on contemporary, uh, our principles of contemporary language teaching that should form the foundation of your approach to, or anyone's approach to the classroom. And so far we've hit on two. The first one we hit on was language is not subject matter, a.k.a. language is too complex and abstract to teach explicitly. And the second one we hit upon last week was just, if you claim to teach communicatively, you better have a definition of communication. And boy, we hit we hit a nerve on that one. We had a lot of calls, a lot of Mixler stuff. A lot, I got emails and tweets after that and so on because people are really concerned about that definition might exclude them and they want to justify what they do. And so I just want to remind people before we get into the topic today that, you, I mean, if you look at the term communicative, communicatively, there's a root in there, communicate. Get it out, Bill. Get it out. It means, well, I'm trying to choose my words carefully. Uh-huh. I'm trying to choose my words carefully because I don't want people to get upset with me, and they shouldn't. But the point is, is, that, is that that word is in there. So it means something. Words mean something. Communicative means something. And it means that communication is involved. If you don't have a concept of communication you're dealing with, then are you really teaching communicatively? And I think what's happened over the years, we've talked about this off and on, is that um, communicative language teaching came to the forefront in the early 70s as a reaction to something else that was going on. And I think a lot of people today think communicative means anything that's not grammar or anything Mm -hmm. that's not teaching the old way. And no, no, there there are things that are communicative, things that are not. Just because you're not drilling does not necessarily mean you're teaching communicatively. And so my point is that if you're teaching communicatively, somehow you're informed by communication. That doesn't mean you have to teach communicatively. It doesn't mean you have to teach communicatively 24-7. But it means somehow when you're doing something communicative, you claim that this activity is communicative, that it's informed by some definition or construct. That's all I'm saying. But anyway, so. But this week, we're off that. And this week, our principle is this. Acquisition is constrained by learner internal and external factors. Um, I have to wrap my head around this because of my, my conversation class the last week and this week we've been talking about external and internal conflicts of people in movies. And so I have to make sure I'm talking about factors in that internal external conflicts of people. Um, and this idea that acquisition is constrained has lots of implications for language teaching, as we could probably all imagine. So if you want to get in on the conversation, you call us at 517-884-4321. Again, that's 517-884-4321. Our lovely and talented, everybody's lovely and talented. I, lo- I like that term, lovely and talented, because people should be lovely and talented, don't you think, Walter? Mm-hmm. I think so. I think so. So our lovely and talented uh, intern, Emma uh, Dunn, is on the phones, and we'll be waiting for your call. Um, you can tweet as well, or you can use Mixler or tweet during Mixler. What exactly is Mixler? Do they tweet on Mixler? What do they do? 
Oh, they they post a message. They I post guess. a message. Your mixel. You can also send us an email <laughs> at teawithbvp at gmail.com. But remember, again, as we always say, we like to hear your melodic voices on the air. Um, this is your cl- your 15 minutes of claim to fame, right? <laughs> so so don't be shy and pick up the phone and dial what, Angelica? 517-884-4321. And what can't they forget, Walter? They can't forget about our crazy quizzes. Our quizzes. And we have two quizzes now, the SLA Challenge Quiz or the Diva Challenge Quiz if you want to do a little bit of pop culture for fun and just step out of the role of language teacher for a while. Uh, some lucky call-in person can take a stab at either one of those quizzes. If not, two people taking a stab at both of them. Just let Emma know that that's what you want to do, and she will handle that for you. Okay, so let's get to the topic. I'm going to say a little bit about this topic. The topic, again, is acquisition is constrained by learner internal and external factors. Now, when you think about this, this principle is not too difficult to grasp, but it has a tremendous amount of research behind it. And I don't know what we'll be able to really talk about and cover in the hour we have today. But in essence, we want to say that the acquisition of language, that is the, the, the linguistic system that you create in your mind brain, is constrained first and foremost by a number of internal factors. Now, I'm only going to list a couple, okay, So because we don't have a, a long show. Um, so I'm going to mention just a couple. Uh, these factors can include things like universal grammar, if you work within the framework I work in. Um, and that puts limitations on the nature of your linguistic system. So whatever language you're developing in your head as a language learner has to conform or obey um, the constraints imposed by universal grammar. So UG puts constraints on the shape of language and also, by implication, how that language develops over time. Um, another internal factor is general learning architecture because, you know, sometimes you, it's not just the language-specific stuff but other kinds of things like your, your memory system and so on that come to play. Um, one of which is statistical learning because your brain has to tabulate frequencies of things that you're learning. Um, and uh, that has a major impact on things like your acquisition of words, your acquisition of inflections, and things like that. Um, there are other internal factors uh, that deal with motivation and so on, but we're going to just stop there for right now. And I will make the following statement. Drum roll. There we go. Here it is. No amount of teaching, no amount of output practice, no amount of other external manipulation can override these internal factors. They operate independently of external things. Um, so that's an important concept to keep in mind. I know people are going to call and argue with me, and so please do. Uh, now, what are some of the external factors? What do you guys think some of the external factors are? I'm just trying to ask questions. Say what? L1. That would be internal because that's in your head. Well, that's true. That's one of the internal factors. Context. Context, exactly. So context is the setting and the participants and so on. Whether you're in a language classroom or you're out of language classroom, whether you have access to the L2 outside the classroom, all those kinds of things are external factors that affect what? The quantity and quality of input you get and the quantity and quality of the interactions you get with that input. And you can also talk about things like context affects things like the power dynamics. So for example, um, are you in a situation where it's not fun to talk out loud or you feel inhibited talking out loud? Maybe you're in a, a, a superior-inferior relationship with someone or maybe you perceive power dynamics in a classroom if you're a student and so on. So all these things affect that that our access and our interaction with the language, the input, uh, the interactions we have with each other, and so on. Again, there are other external factors. I think ultimately I'll relate to this concept of of context. Um, But again, we want to say that that these operate independently of things like universal grammar and your internal architecture and so on. Um, So all these things work in tandem, but, but they don't overwrite each other. Okay, so uh, we have lots of evidence for these constraints. For those of you wondering out there, there's, I mean, that's what we've been looking at for almost 40 years of second language research. So I'm going to list a couple of the most important pieces of evidence we have in very, very broad stroke terms, and then we're going to open it up. People can call in or people can tweet in or do something. Um, So what's some of the evidence we have for these constraints? Well, one piece of evidence we have is what everybody I hope out there in the audience knows are acquisition orders and developmental sequences. Okay, so that's the way language unfolds in the brain over time or the way it comes out of your mouth over time. These are powerful, or not powerful, these are important, significant indicators of things that are going on in your, your, your brain that shape language in particular ways. Um, then there's the idea of what things that non-natives do, what they could do, but they don't do. In other words, the things that you 
when you sound non-native, like the things that you do are non-native, aren't willy-nilly. Um, uh, what people like to call errors, which you all know I don't call errors, are constrained. There's only certain w things you're gonna get wrong. You, in other words, you're gonna do X and not Y when you get it wrong, because something internal is pushing you toward one direction as opposed to another. So the non-native stuff you do is not happening willy-nilly, it's happening for a particular reason. And then the other major piece of evidence we have is a long tradition in um, the research that the effects of instruction, trying to make people learn language and do it this way and not that way, um, the effects are minimal to non-existent. Um, so the forces inside just can't be overridden by um, our attempts at manipulating them. And that's all I'm going to say about that. So we'll let people chime in at some point. And um, they want to, people want to call in. They want to mixolarize us. Whatever they want to do. I hope somebody calls in. I want people to talk to me. I'm low like a Maytag repair guy here. <laughs> I want to be talked to. <laughs> I am. You know that I, I love that they've changed those commercials. Now they have that guy who pretends to be the refrigerator, oh, pretends yeah. to be the dishwasher. Yeah. He sits there. So they're no longer the lonely Maytag guys. That and he used to be in a TV show huh. on the Sci-Fi Channel. Huh. Does anybody know what TV show he used to be in? I don't even know who you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Why am I not surprised? Mr. I don't I'm know anything about pop culture. Yeah. It, 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 he actually used to be the star of Eureka, which was a sci-fi show that was on for a couple of, couple of years, a couple of seasons. But anyway, so, um, so those are, that's what we want to say about that, and we want people to call in. So um, Ryan actually has a question. Ryan is on Mixler. Oh, hey, Ryan he on Mixler. Call me. Call um, me. If you're on he, Mixler, you can dial. Uh, no, 517-884. <laughs> he says he's unable to call in today as um, he's doing testing all day. Ah. So he's sneaking in and listening. But his question is, in order no, to... we call that multitasking. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what's, what's Ryan's question? In order to change the context of a given class, would it be a good idea to pair with a school in a country that speaks the target language to have actual, real, meaningful conversation partners? Um, you could do that, of course. Um, that doesn't necessarily change the context of the classroom itself, but what it does is it adds a dimension that's not there. Um, and remember, because the context of the classroom doesn't change. What you do is at that moment that you're interacting with somebody else outside the classroom is that context. So for example, here Walter and I um, use, in the Spanish program, we use um, Talk Abroad. Um, plug there for Todd Nichols and the Talk Abroad people. Uh, we used Talk Abroad in the fourth semester program. And so the classroom, the 50-minute the classroom context is its context. When students go on Talk Abroad and talk to their partner in Chile or Peru or Mexico or wherever it is, um, at that half-hour interchange is a different context from the classroom context. And so that becomes something, something different. Um, so what you wind up having is not, you don't change the context, you have multiple contexts. Does that make sense, what I just said? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you're creating a, another context um, th that is independent of the classroom context is how I would answer that. Um, and yes, it's profitable, by the way, Ryan, that's actually not a bad thing to do um, for a variety of reasons. And, and, and there's a good and bad ways to do that, but uh, maybe we should have a, when, don't forget next week is your freebie call and call about any topic you want. Um, maybe we can, maybe somebody calling about that, we can expand on that next week. Looks like we got a call on the phone already. My gosh, we have, uh, do we have Lance on the line there somewhere? Hey, it's Lance. Lance, where are you calling from? I'm calling from Massachusetts. How did I know that? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I just, you know, you know how I know that, Lance? Because you could probably count the number of Lances you know. No, no, no. It's because it says on the screen in front of me, caller, Lance from M.A. And I know M.A. is not Michigan. I know it's not Minnesota. I know it's not Mississippi. So it's got to be Massachusetts. Yeah. <laughs> so what's up, Lance? What are you calling about? Well, um, I've seen a few things recently on various language community discussion groups and whatnot um, that have to do with this topic, this week's topic. And... Basically, it seems like people are having trouble reconciling, reconciling, what? We know what you mean. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that, okay, if we have all these constraints, but we're in a school, how much control do we actually have over acquisition? And, and what can we do? For example, if someone appears to not write native-like, do we say, hey, read more? and you should improve your writing. Like, can we target those sort of skills? 
Um, skills could be targeted to a certain degree, particularly writing, because writing you can consciously reflect on. I mean, in my class, for example, we have this week was writing week, and so they started drafting on Tuesday in class, and then they did some back and forth work um, through email, and then today they came back and they did their revisions, and then they have to share with another table in the class, and so on. And so writing, and, and I'm a writer, for example, I don't not just articles and stuff, but I actually write fiction. And it's a tremendously reflective thing. And I met with one of my writing critique partners last night. We had coffee together, and he gave me feedback on a couple of chapters of my new novel. And so, and so writing itself can benefit by reflection and, and, and interaction because it's a process in which you can apply explicit knowledge. And that's quite different, though, from getting a linguistic system in your head. Whenever we talk about acquisition, you got to remember we're always only talking about getting a language system in your head an unconscious, abstract, and complex language system in your head that doesn't look anything at all like any explicit knowledge you might have. Absolutely, the two have nothing to do with each other. Um, so to get back to your original question, Lance, if I recall correctly, it was how much control do we have over acquisition? Was that not the question? Yes. Yeah. And imp improving a student's acquisition. Uh, yeah. You, you okay, remember, every acquisition is something that's internal. So... It's not that you can you can improve students' acquisition because there's a lot of individual variation and people improve at different rates and so on. That's going to happen to learners as they're exposed to language. And, and I like to I like to put it this way: learning, for example, in the crashing sense or explicit knowledge development, um, is something purposeful that the teacher can help bring about explicitly. Whereas acquisition is something that happens to the learner. Through exposure, so so the only control the teacher has is the quantity and quality of the input interaction that students get in the classroom. That's what the teacher has to control over. But the teacher can't really control acquisition because that's that's governed by the internal stuff. The, the either UG if you believe in it, universal grammar or general architecture, whatever it is that, that you believe is responsible for this creation of this system in the head. That you just don't have control over. You can't open up the brain and do anything to it. You just can't. But again, okay, so then, then once a, once um, someone has mental representation of a language, and has acquired a certain amount, let's say, right, has acquired a substantial amount of language, then that's when you can do more of the explicit teaching and say, oh, look, we're going to focus on your writing, or uh, now we need to skill build your speaking. I mean, you, you can actually do that, focus on explicit stuff anytime you want. I mean, it doesn't have to happen. Sure. Just, you know, you can do it anytime you want because you're engaging a different part of the mind-brain and it has a different function, a different purpose um, than your input interaction with the language. So I think you can separate those out and, 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 just, and, and, and that's fine as long as you know that you're having two different things going on. Um, I, I think what I hear is the tension, if we can just speak to it directly, is... Um, I think teachers are afraid that if you take away this idea that uh, let me just, okay let me just zero in on it and talk about we talked about this yesterday in a faculty learning community group here I am increasingly convinced that we need to get rid of the term language teacher we have to stop thinking of ourselves as language teaching I think that com com communicates a message um, and we need some other kind of term to talk about what we do and who we are. Because the minute you say language teaching, it conjures up images of teaching language. And, and so what we need to do is figure out some way to talk, about, to, to talk about what we are and who we are so that it gives a better idea to people of what it is that we really, what we really do and what can happen in classrooms and so on. And so this tension that's out there is, is teachers are thinking, I can't do anything. Well, actually, you can. It's just not... You're not a language teacher anymore. You're something else, which is why we had last week the, the discussion about communication. You can be someone who facilitates and causes a tremendous amount of communication in the class, or you can inhibit it. Um, and so, it, again, it depends on what you, what you're, what, what, how you want to perceive your role. Does that make sense? I, I think that, and again, that's my pet peeve, this whole idea of language teaching. I, if, I, if I had a better way of talking about it, I would. I, but, or a better nomenclature, I would try to offer to people. But I know that calling ourselves language teachers conjures up for everybody out there who's not a language teacher, and sometimes ourselves, an image that then is what's helping cause this tension. There. Well, thanks. 
Yeah. That's my that's my piece there. Amen. I said it. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'll let I'll uh, let someone else call in. Okay, we can do that. Hand over the reins. That was great. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Lance. Thanks, Thanks so for, calling. for calling again, Have Lance. a great day. Bye, Lance. Snow's okay, bye, coming this everyone. weekend. Snow's coming this weekend. Be careful. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, do we have, uh, let's, before we take another call, would, do we have anything on um, email or on Mixler that, that any reaction to what, what Lance asked about or anything else coming up? Well, a couple of people are giving you suggestions for what else in terms of terminology. With, oh, that's or, interesting. Or, or, or questions. So let's, yeah, let's put that out there. Language model, exemplary language speaker, acquisition facilitator. Acquisition facilitator, that's interesting. Someone who said yesterday in the group meeting was, was a bilingual mediator. And I thought, that's kind of interesting, but it does sound like you're like, actually like working in a court of law or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but people are, you know, this is, I think if I can plant that idea out in people's heads to, to rethink what it is they call themselves, that might help people grapple with this a little bit better. I, I'm not a, because I don't, I mean, I call myself occasionally a language teacher because it's a shorthand way of doing things, but I don't really like that term and I try not to use it. So, because it does, you, you tell people, um, if you tell people you're at a cocktail party, I teach Spanish. They go, oh, I took Spanish in high school, you know, and I drilled it. And that conjures up those images of Senora Garcia with her pointer, you know, doing this, you know, learning worksheets and stuff like that. Um, and that's not what we do. That's not what we want to do anymore. And so we're stuck with old terminology for a paradigm that's quite different than the terminology. So we have, we have to work on that. Okay. Um, anything else? What have we got in the what, email, Walter? We've got to have something good in there. I know we do. There's nothing that's come in pertaining to today's topic, uh, but we do have some comments. If we if we get a chance later, we I'd be happy to address some questions that came in about last week's topic. So Okay. Well, if we're going to do that, then we can take our next call. Guess what? We have a call from what's going on in Massachusetts today. We have another call from Massachusetts, it looks like, because I'm looking at the screen. I see the MA up there, which I know is not Mississippi. It's not Minnesota. It's Massachusetts. This is Eric from Massachusetts, correct? Yes, that's it. This is Eric. Hey, Eric. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? We're good. How are you, Angelica? Me? I'm great. See? And Walter, how are you? Fantabulous. Yeah, fantabulous. <laughs> See, Eric, we're great. We're great. So what are you we're up to today? Great. Are you off teaching today? Uh, are you not teaching? Or? I taught today. Um, school is out. Now I'm, I will be tutoring a little bit later, but in between teaching. Oh, okay. So, well, great then. So you... You took the moment out to call us. We love that. What do you want to talk about? What's your question or what's your comment? Um, I did have comments about last week's episode, but I could hold off or I could or I didn't talk about this week's episode. I, I, whichever. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, Eric. You have two seconds to make your mind which one you want to do. We'll take <laughs> either one. <laughs> okay. Um, well, how about this? I'm going to go to last week's episode then, and maybe you could talk a bit about the interface between acquisition and communication mm -hmm. and when something is not communicative, can, how it still can benefit acquisition, and what are those circumstances? Um, yeah. Uh, um, I'm not quite sure what um, how that interface works, uh, what the implication of relationship is. But let's say this. Um, if your class is communicative, if you're communicative, um, let's forget about the fact that, don't forget acquisition happens outside the classroom too. So, um, mm -hmm. But communication, again, involves expression and interpretation of meaning in a given context. And so whenever a learner is engaged in interpretation of meaning in some context, um, then, then you're probably going to have acquisition going on, right? Now, right. what you've got to remember is that what I like to talk about, and I didn't explain this last week, so this is, might help you a little bit, Eric, to, to tease this apart, is that even though I do believe that you're either communicative or you're not, you can, if you want to split hairs, look at it as a tri-level phenomenon. On the one end, there's no communication. What you're doing is just, it can't be construed as communication in any way, shape, or form. And at the far other end is absolute or true communication, which is you've got expression, interpretation of meaning, it respects the context, and it has a purpose. 
in the sense of um, there's a reason that people are actually exchanging information. They need this for some reason, right? That, that's what we use language for in communication. Then you might have something in between called partial communication or partially communicative, if you want to call it that way, for, for classroom activities. And that's when there's focus on meaning, but maybe a purpose is absent. And so the idea here is that, is that there are some kinds of things you do in the classroom that, that, that inch their way toward full communication but fall short simply because they don't have a purpose. But that doesn't make them completely non-communicative because there's expression and interpretation of meaning involved. And so I think, I think we can look at some of the things you might be thinking about, Eric, and I, again, I'm, I'm not gonna try to second guess what you're thinking about, but some things that, that aren't fully communicative or could be partially communicative because there's meaning involved and learners are actively involved in somehow interpreting that meaning, no matter what the activity is, right? So, so I think that the, inter the interface here w uh, between acquisition and communication is that whenever you're involved in something that's either fully communicative or quote unquote partially communicative, if you want to do that little division up, uh, divide, the dividing of the, 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 the scale up that way. Um, anything that's, that, has, that, is that is related to communicative in some way will automatically feed into acquisition if the learner is engaged in actively interpreting meaning. Right? Mm -hmm. And so this is why things like comprehensible input and other kinds of methods that use that, that are, can be successful or do things because learners are actively engaged in interpreting meaning, even though it may not have a true communicative purpose in the sense of the way we define communication. Okay, um, so I, I think that there's ways, there's ways to look at that definition and say, okay, we can tweak this this way and we can look at it that way um, to help us understand why it is we do it in the class and what's, what's truly communicative and what's partially communicative and so on. So. Right, and that, that, I think that's what I, I arrived at. Um, I, it was the example I believe you gave um, last week when you asked Walter the color of your shirt, which uh, it, that that is asking you're exchanging meaning and there's a message there but it's about information that's already known and its purpose may be more along the lines of let's practice the word for the color or the word shirt and not so much to you know learn something about uh, yourselves or, or new information and yet that that type of conversation can still be beneficial to acquisition but maybe not purely, I guess, on that extreme of 100% communicative, right? Right. And you got to remember when you scale these things, too, it depends on how you do things in class, for example. Like, let's say um, that um, we're going to come some judgment about what's in my closet. That's the goal of, of this activity I'm working on. But to get to my closet, we have to establish some things first. We have to make sure we understand what camisa is, what shirt is, and what black is, and what brown is, and what white is, okay? So you do some of these partially communicative things because they, they are the stepping stone to get you to the thing you actually want to do that day, that hour. So for example, let's say yeah. that, that, that my class is going to rate my closet. Once they find out what's in my closet, they're going to have to say, um, wow, or boring, or there's going to be a scale I give them to rate my closet on, okay? And it's going to tell them something about me and my and my values because of what I buy and what's in my closet, right? So that's part of learning about me. Mm -hmm. And so I might ask Walter, okay, Walter, what color shirt do I have on? And Walter goes, black. I go, great. And then I might say, how many black shirts do you think I have? And, and you see, where I'm, see how I started in one way and now I'm moving, inching toward eventually something? Because uh, and, yeah. and, 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 I actually have something like 20 black shirts in my closet. And there's a reason for that, right? Um, mm -hmm. So anyway, so, so we, use, we use these techniques in class in different ways because they can be part of a bigger picture we're aiming for. That's what I was trying to get last week about communication is that you can see yourself being communicative in the broader picture without being communicative every single waking second. Does that yeah. make sense? Okay. And I, and I know there's also a practice out there many use as well as the use of description of pictures or film. And in the same similar in a similar sense, you're you're kind of establishing meaning for these words, and it might be more of like your launching pad towards that. But the here's 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 where I'm getting back to what Lance and I were talking about earlier. If you're listening, Eric, and anybody else for that matter, that's again this mm -hmm. idea that we're language teachers. Because what happens if you if you never get to that part where you're actually communicative, fully communicative, and just partially communicative, you're still just mm -hmm. trying to teach language. 
I'm trying to get you to learn the words for X, or I'm trying to embed this grammatical structure in what I'm doing so you hear it enough and so on. And, and, and that's all well and good, don't get me wrong, but again, we're mm -hmm. falling short of that idea of what language is used for, by humans as part mm -hmm. of their broader, not the only thing they use, but part of, the, part of what they use for communication. And so um, what happens is if we call ourselves language teachers, then people will take tools like comprehensible input, they'll take tools like text enhancement, they'll take reading with the idea, I'm gonna use this to teach language, as opposed to how can I use this to get to the point where we're actually communicating. And, and, right. and, 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 that's, and that's where I'm trying to get people to that next level. That these that things all work together. It's not one or the other because, you know, you got to have tools in your kit to, to get to where you want to get. So, um, so, so anyway. It could, it could be said then that when there is exchange of meaning, when there, well, even, let's get even more uh, precise, when there is interpretation of meaning, you know, when the meaning is comprehended, then there is potential acquisition. And that can happen under conditions that are partially or fully communicative? Yes. Yes. Again, as long as the learner is attending to meaning uh, and processing language for, for the right. meaning, then you've got, you've, got something, you've, you've got something going on in the learner's head, which is, which is conducive to acquisition. But again, my point is, is that if you make communication your goal, acquisition will automatically happen. If you make acquisition your goal, you may not get to communication. Do you see the difference? Yes, I do. So if I, you, I, if I, you I, make communication your goal, you will, you will cause acquisition to happen because you will be providing input interaction that's appropriate along the way. Um, and again, it doesn't have to be 24-7 every waking minute, but, but it just means that mm -hmm. if, if that's your broader goal and your less your weekly goal, okay, I'm going I'm to be doing these activities so by Friday we can do this really good, fully communicative activity as this outcome, this purpose, this information, blah, blah, blah. But to get there, I've got to start some more on Monday, right? So I start with the pre-communicative, not the pre-communicative, but the partially communicative stuff to get there, and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and that's fine, as long as you envision yourself doing that. The, the problem is, again, if you just make acquisition the goal by and of itself, then you don't get to the communicative part necessarily. Um, mm -hmm. So that's one yeah. way to think about it. So if that and, helps you, to, good. That, no, that helps. And to kind of extend what Lance was saying, um, the well, that you said finding well, the two things. What's another name for uh, a teacher? And I know Krashen has used the term, and it may not be, it may not originated with him, but a language parent, and talked about someone who finds someone who will be a sympathetic, patient listener and interlocutor will be someone who you know then communicates and helps that person to acquire and maybe that's another way to look at a teacher's role in the classroom mm -hmm. as well as not and also in my case I've had um, the support and uh, freedom to be able to change the course name in fact and instead of it being Spanish it's students and stories with kind of an add-on in Spanish so that the the focus is more on we're, we're learning about ourselves and in, in our in our in our classroom, and also you know also telling stories and learning and creating new stories. So that then becomes what we communicate about, and the purpose is then to learn about ourselves and tell stories, and not to break language into its pieces and practice and learn language. Right, right. So. And that actually would be that's an interesting idea that what you again it all comes back to what we call things. And I just thought about this, Walter. Wouldn't it be fun if we could call our classes Spanish for Communication One? Spanish for communication too, um, and then and not call them Spanish or Spanish language, but call them Spanish for communication. I think it could be interesting to start thinking about that. I, Maybe there are yeah, some. I, I mean, I imagine there are some places that already do that. I wonder could if anyone be. knows that there are. Let us know. I'd be yeah. interested in hearing that. I'd like to look at those myself. That'd be kind of cool. Eric, I'm going to have to shoo you off for a minute, um, unless you want to call back in a little bit, because we've got somebody who actually wants to comment on your and my discussion. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Okay. Thank you very so much. So don't hang up because you want to hear what that person has to say. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. See you later, Eric. Thanks for calling in. Bye. Bye. Uh, that was fun. Um, yeah, that's 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 this idea of the relation between acquisition and communication. I think it could be confusing, but you know, I, I hope I, I hope I, uh, what's the word? Hope I said something useful to Eric. That's what I want to say. Okay, um, Eric, by the way, if you haven't hung up, Eric, make sure you hang up because the, you, the line won't allow the people to call in if you don't hang up. So Eric, Eric if you're listening, please hang up. Um, so we have our next caller on the line. Not from Massachusetts. Not from Massachusetts. Shocking. Somebody from the opposite side in a different time zone. We have somebody from 
AZ, which is not Arkansas, Walter, but Arizona. Arizona. Okay, so we have Carol calling from Arizona. Hey, Carol, you on the line? I'm on the line. Hey, Carol. I think I know which Carol this is, but I'm not going to say. <laughs> Hi, Carol. No, no use of last names. No use of last names, but I, I know who you are, Carol. <laughs> and, I'm gl- and I'm glad you're calling in. How's that? Well, great. Thanks. I'm glad you opened up those phone lines. We could, we could get through now. Yeah, here you go. Well, they're, so, they're working on that. We've had some technical yeah. stuff. But, but I saw you on the screen. They put on the screen that you want to comment on Eric's discussion. Is that what you're calling about? Well, kind of on Eric's and just on, on everything, Lance. Eric and and what you said. Oh my God, um, Carol's Carol's taking it all on. Okay, Carol, go. Go. So I think that the real issue is that um, it's that the last thing that you said, and that is that you know if we focus on actual communication, if if communication is our goal, then acquisition will naturally happen. But none of us, even people who who claim to be CI teachers or TPRS teachers, um, I don't think that, I I shouldn't say none of us, I will say that I myself never really uh, thought about teaching in that way. I always approach teaching as as far as facilitating acquisition of something. Um, And I think that, that part of the issue is that we are often given lists or we're giving spe- given specific items that we have to teach. Mm-hmm. So we consciously focus on those items that we have to teach. And so we approach it, you know, from the standpoint of, you know, the learning objective is that they will understand these words and they'll be able to use these words, which, which then carries us away from com- communication and, and takes us more to this, you know, explicit teaching kind of role. But um, so, so that was one of my aha moments and so I really um, I, I really liked that you said that because I think that helped us all wrap our brains around this a little bit more. Well good. But um, now that. I have a, a, a question for you. Okay. I want to know, I'm going to describe an activity to you and then I want you to tell me whether or not this activity can be considered uh, completely communicative or partially communicative. Okay. Oh my gosh. So this here is, it is. This is like the reverse of the LA quiz. I'm I on like the it. receiving I end. I like it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Angelica's watching me squirm in my seat, Carol. <laughs> Thanks. I'm going to I'm going to bring you a prize if you answer correctly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. All right. So here it is. All right. So um, let's just assume that you're operating on a time zone where many of your colleagues and maybe some pen pal type classrooms are operating. And you want to carry on a conversation, but given the time zone differential, you're not able to do that. So um, what I've done in the past is that I have uh, various colleagues around the country and the world, and I do video exchanges with them and between my students and their students. So my students are generally native Spanish speakers learning English, and their students are sometimes fellow ESL students and sometimes they're Spanish students. So in some cases, my students will communicate an idea or ask questions or talk a little bit about themselves or their culture or their goals, whatever it might be. They'll talk a little bit about themselves and they'll be talking to specific students in this other class. At the same time, um, if we have already received a video message from that class, Um, they will ask questions, getting more in-depth information about what they learned from those students during the video. We just call it a video exchange. And so, for example, um, the very first one that I did with a fellow Spanish teacher um, who happens to be right next door to you, BDP, um, was uh, this this teacher was going to have her students reading a book and the main character in the book had a lot of tattoos. So we started out the whole discussion that went on for this whole semester. Uh, we started the discussion with our, my students talking about their tattoos because they have a lot of tattoos. So they shared, they showed their tattoos on the video. They shared information about their tattoos, the meaning of the tattoos, and then that class then responded with questions, you know, get, getting more information about them and their family and maybe why they got a specific tattoo, et cetera. This exchange would go on and on and on, and the topics randomly um, well, just progressed from one topic to the next based on each other's responses and future questions. 
Communicative or not? Um, so the, the, the way to answer that question is to first ask ourselves what the purpose was. Do you know what the purpose was of that? Yes. The purpose was, uh, the purpose was just to learn about each other mm -hmm. and, and to, you know, learn the differences basically in what it's like to study Spanish in the U.S. and what is it like to study English as a second language in the U.S.? What's the difference in, in just how you view things? What's the difference in the food you eat? What, what's the difference in how you feel? Okay. Et cetera, et cetera. Now remember, one of, one of the purposes of communication is psychosocial. We didn't talk about it last week because it's a very hard thing to, 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 to deal with in a classroom. But psychosocial use of communication is when we use language to communicate and the purpose is to establish and maintain relationships with people. So it can be mundane as if I see you in the hallway, Carol, I'll say, hey, Carol, how's it going? Even though I don't expect you to give me your life story, if I don't say that, I'm going to be rude. If I just walk by and don't acknowledge you, I'm being rude. And, and so your answers might you know, be, oh, I'm fine, you know, or, or I'm really great, or whatever. Um, and then you know, we exchange pleasantries and we move on. That exchange of present, pleasantries has a purpose when, when we communicate. And it's, again, the psychosocial use of language. Now, psychosocial use of language can also be when I compliment Walter. Hey, Walter, have you lost weight? You look really good these days. <laughs> and then Walter, Walter goes, well, thank you. And then something else happens, and I go, oh, by the way, I need to talk to you about what happened in the meeting the other day. And so what I've done is I use a little bit of psychosocial use of communication, you know, because I like Walter, and I'm maintaining my relationship with him. We do things like that. So, so not, all of not all of communication, our use of language, is just about getting information and exchanging information. And so when you, when you said earlier, Carol, I keyed on this, that one of the purposes is for them to get to know each other, that's part of that psychosocial use of language. These people are trying to find out who this other person is, and, and I gotta get to know this person for some reason, right? And so I can't just talk to you out of the thin air. I gotta kinda know who you are, you know? And so, so I might ask you questions like, well, how old are you? And it's not because I'm gonna like stalk you or make a profile on you. I'm just trying to, I'm, we're creating a relationship. And so that's a psychosocial use of language. And that's a purposeful part of communication. So, so there's that. Um, and the, but the, the other idea is you're actually learning information. You're going to do something with it. Then, you know, this idea of what's it like to be in that country and do this as opposed to that um, is, um, is partially communicative. And what makes it fully communicative is afterwards you step back and say, okay, now that we learned these things, you know, we've hung up, we're not talking to people anymore, let's do a little evaluation. Do you think it's different? Um, do you think it's better? Do you think it's worse what they do? How would you, on a scale of five, would you, would you like that system better than our system where you actually take the information and you do something with it? Because now, now I've, I've learned something, I'm gonna do something with it. And that, that's what gives purpose to some of the tasks we do in class that otherwise don't have a purpose. Um, so my answer is that that task is communicative in the sense of, or what you described is communicative in the sense that it has a psychosocial dimension to it, which is part of, that's a purpose. And then, and it's exchange of information and so on, and that's negotiation meeting, that's communication. So you've got that side, that's good. Then you've got the other thing that is at least partially communicative, not fully communicative, depending on what you wind up doing with that information. Did I answer your question? Sort of, kind you of? You answered my question. Okay. And, yes, and what you're you. doing, I mean, because we have these things too. We just talk abroad and we do something similar. And students are involved in getting information and talking to native speakers in other countries. And what they're doing at that point in time is not necessarily communicative, but it's gonna be part of a, a bigger picture because when they come to class and they report in the class, one of the jobs they have to do is say, here are three things I learned that I did not know ahead of time. And then the teacher can, you know, based on my conversation with this person. And then the teacher looks at, well, you can build a profile of a class. Let's say six students get to present that hour on their talk about experiences. Then all of a sudden the teacher can go, let's look back at this, are we seeing a pattern here? What, what, what are we learning, what, what are we keying on that's different? When we say these are the three things I learned I didn't know before. And so there's this other dimension of, of why we got this information. So anyway, so, um, so those are the kind of things I'm advocating that, that people don't just stop at getting the information, that people do something with information. That provides an extra level of purpose that, that makes students go, oh, actually, I'm getting information because I'm gonna do something with it, you know, so, so there. Okay, so you're saying if they don't do any follow-up, there, if there's no purpose for, for that discussion or learning about these people aside from social linguistic um, or psychosocial, 
you're right. saying that it's you can't be considered communicative. It, not fully communicative, but partially communicative, because you are exchanging meaning, you're negotiating meaning, you're interacting. There's expression. But what you're inter- saying is, to be fully communicative, you have to have some follow-up purpose for that information. Am I understanding you correctly? Well, yeah. What I'm saying is that all communication has some kind of purpose. Um, and what I'm saying is that in classrooms, that if you don't have some kind of follow-up purpose, then those activities become language practice activities. They degenerate very quickly into those things. That's what okay, I'm saying. Okay, so now, now my qu- next question is, you and I are at a party and we have a discussion. Now, there's no real reason for it other than just pure entertainment. And uh, mm-hmm. so uh, we leave that party and I don't ever do anything with that information ever again. Right. Was that communicative? Yeah, because it's probably largely psychosocial. Like, I don't want to sit in the corner and talk to sit by myself. i got to do something. So I'm just engaging in some kind of relationship with some of that at that point in time. And it's like, think about, like, gossip, for example. Let's say Angelica and I gossip about somebody. Not that Angelica and I ever gossip, but let's just say we do. <laughs> and we're doing that not necessarily because we're really exchanging information, because we don't know if it's true. We're doing that gossip because... That solidifies the bond between me and Angelica as people. It makes us feel closer to each other. And we, we, we sort of like, oh, this is just between you and me and that we're special. We're excluding other people right now. So, so, so don't forget that there are things we engage in that have a purpose. You just may not see what that purpose is. Because sometimes it's okay. a psychosocial purpose of language. Or communication, right. I should say. Right? I, I agree. Yeah. So, yeah. So there you go. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for taking my call today. Well, thank you, Carol. Hey, Carol, do you want to take a quiz? Really? Do I? I'll take the quiz if nobody else is on the line to take the quiz. But I kind of hogged a lot of airtime, so I don't want to step on any toes. Well, I was just going to say that if anybody wants to call back, they can. Otherwise, you can. We've got two quizzes. Maybe somebody will call in in the meantime to take the other quiz that you don't take. Well, I don't do the diva quiz because I'm like Walter. <laughs> Walter, she's got your number. Everybody's got your Thanks, number. Carol. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, um, you want to take the SLA quiz? Sure. All right. This is a good one. This is a good one. Okie dokies. Here we go. Ready? Okay. Yep. So this is Carol, everybody, taking the, the SLA challenge quiz. Number one. And you know how this works. I'm not going to explain to everybody. We, everybody knows how this works now. Okay. Although universal grammar is said to constrain acquisition, does universal grammar guarantee acquisition? A, Mm. yes, B, no, C, it depends, D, don't ask me this question, my head hurts. (laughs) Um, D. Yeah, D, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to say absolutely D, but I'm going to say, no, it it has to... Oh, it definitely, it it's D. I mean, it's C. It depends. It depends. Yeah. It doesn't constrain. I'll tell you this. It does not constrain acquisition. What does? No, it does. UG, UG is universal grammar said to constrain acquisition, but does it guarantee acquisition? That's uh, the question. That's what I meant to say. It doesn't guarantee acquisition, but it it. Its role in acquisition is dependent upon a lot of external factors. And it depends also. It's like saying, is universal grammar, is grammar, um, what do you call it, generative? Is it, you know, does it generate actually more acquisition? Yes. Okay, well, I'm going to let you fudge on this one. The answer actually is no, because nothing in the world guarantees acquisition. Nothing. But I understand your logic, so we're going to go ding, 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 ding. Yeah. Oh, okay. thanks. Right. Me one. Thank so, but no, but well, I want everybody out there to understand that nothing, there's no way to guarantee acquisition. It's out of our control. It is. And so even UG, even though UG constrains acquisition, it doesn't mean that a learner can become native-like. It doesn't, because there are so many things going on that um, in, in addition to. So I, I understand your depends, but, but technically I, I should push you and say no. So ding, 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 you get that one. Okay, okay. number two. Poverty of the stimulus refers to which of the following? Are you ready? These are long ones. Poverty of the stimulus refers to which of the following? A, when people come to know more than what they have been exposed to. B, when learners' internal linguistic systems show deficiencies. 
C, when explicit teaching doesn't do what it is claimed to do. D, when Walter borrows money from Angelica to pay his gas bill. <laughs> Which of those is poverty of the stimulus? That's never happened, by the way. I know. Everybody knows, <laughs> the, everybody knows the fourth item is always a joke. Okay, so. Okay, Carol, do you need me to read those again? I, no, I, well, I don't remember what you said, but I, <laughs> I, I originally immediately thought A, then you said C, and I thought, well, maybe, but I'm going to stick with A. Ding, 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 Yay. ding. Yes. Part of the stimulus, this is one of the things that universal grammar does, too, is people in acquisition always come to know more than what's in the input. That's how language works, and, and we can talk about what that means at a later show. But yes, that's a very important construct in second language acquisition. Okay, and finally, so she's got her coaster so far. Mm -hmm. Now she's going to go for the big prize. Yes. Okay, Excellent. this is for the tote. You get the coasters and the tote now if you get this. Okay, three. Pressure's on. Processability theory describes constraints on what? And okay, I'm, now you have to repeat that because I didn't hear what you said, that, mm -hmm. the process of what theory? Processability theory describes constraints on what? How okay. learners deal with input, how learners develop output, how learners' lexicons affect syntax, D, how learners put on their seatbelts when riding the cheetah at Bush Gardens. <laughs> well, I, I have to be honest on this one that... Um, you almost, you almost stumped me, and I, I was starting to waver. And then Eric Kerman got on the uh, Mixler, on, on the Mixler. Uh, That's your lifeline. What did Eric yeah. say? He says, uh, "Be output." Ding, 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 ding. Yay. Correct. Hey, thank you, Eric. Processability <laughs> theory. Processability theory is is a whole theory that's that's about how it is that learners over time are able to string elements together to make a sentence and what the constraints are on their ability to do that. So, gay Carol wins her, um, yay, Carol. her coasters and her tote bag that says tea with BVP on it. So Thanks, Eric. And thank you, BVP. You graced me one in there, too. Look, I had to cheat twice. Uh, and you know what, <laughs> you know what, Carol? Since you are going to be visiting us in a couple of weeks, we're not going to mail that to you. You're going to get the tour of our building and see things we do, and we're going to hand-deliver our... Um, Coasters and tote awesome. bag to you. How's that? Awesome. Okay. Awesome. All right. Okay. All right. Hey, thanks we'll a see lot. you then. All right. All right. Thanks a lot, Carol. Bye-bye. Bye, Carol. Bye-bye. Love Carol. That was great. That was great. She was pretty good on that. And thanks to Eric for giving her that lifeline. Okay. Well, we did talk a little bit about stuff from last week, which is good. Um, and then we, we tied some of those things into what we're talking about this week. And then we had our little quiz that dealt with constraints and so on. So I think we did some good topics today. We handled our topics, don't you think? Yeah. I think we did. I think we did. We did our job. We done did it. All right. <laughs> We're going to start wrapping up because our time, come where the time flies and this hour just goes by so fast. And I feel like that yep. Carol Burnett show, I'm so glad we had this time yep. together mm -hmm. just to have a laugh and take a quiz. Okay. <laughs> Walter knows that show, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, see, Walter knows that, but he doesn't know who Beyonce is. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so uh, remind, just remember, we're still, we're still trying to build our numbers up, so remind your colleagues, friends, and students to go to teawithbbb.com and have them sign up for our weekly newsletter. And as usual, we have a long list of acknowledgments because we have so many people who help us and make us look good. One of them, of course, is our technical producer, Daniel Trago, who's behind a glass window staring at me. Um, our media producer, Luca Giappone, who's that great guy who sends you tweets and sends you newsletters every week. Um, the talented and trusted... Uh, intern Emma Dunn has been taking the phone calls and allowing Dustin DeFelice, our, our handy all-around guy who used to take phone calls and sometimes still does. Sometimes he fills in for, for Daniel. So um, we want to thank him for everything he does. Our assistant production manager, Jeff Maloney, who was away last week because he went to a wedding and now he's back and he had a great time at the wedding. So good for him. We'd like to thank the Center for Language Teaching Advancement, a.k.a. CELTA for short. The College of Arts and Letters at Michigan State University. We've got a great dean who's very supportive of everything we do in, in languages here. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed in this program do not in any way reflect those of the Center for Language Teaching Advancement, the College of Arts and Letters, any of our sponsors, if we had any, uh, or any other official entity of Michigan State University. And of course, we always want to thank the listeners out there, and particularly those people who called in today. Thank you for calling in. Next week is the first Thursday of the month, and you know what that means? What does it mean, Walter? Freebie. Freebie. No theme show. You can call in about anything you want. So plan your questions and comments accordingly and call them in. We want to hear your voices. Until then, have a great weekend. 
Have a great next week. Happy April Fool's Day tomorrow. And of course, happy second language acquisition to all of you. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Cheers.